Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Blind psychotic. In my defense, I was on a lot of medicine. Also, before you think something is wrong with me, maybe not exactly in that manner, but how many of you would admit that sometimes you create scenarios and movies in your mind and you play out scenarios that while in no way are true, they create anxiety and stress and concern in your heart and they cause you to say and to act certain ways that are based solely on our thoughts and imaginations. We create scenarios and anxious moments in our mind that are obviously not from God. And yet we dwell on the improper thoughts for so long that if we aren't careful, what started off as an imagination can become truth in our own mind. My text from today, David writes, May the words of my mouth and the meditation or the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. When the Bible talks about our heart, for the most part, it's referring to not the blood-pumping muscle in our chest, unless it says someone was stabbed in the heart with a dagger. It's usually referring to our minds. Just like if you say, I love you with all my heart, you're not loving someone with their blood-pumping muscle that's in your chest. That's pretty gross. You're actually loving them with who you are, your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, everything that makes up who we are. And so heart refers to our mind. So in essence, what David is saying in this passage is, Lord, I want the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind to be pleasing to you. Now, how many of you would be honest enough to say with me that that's a prayer that I need to pray? Because my mouth and my mind aren't always pleasing to God. The Bible is filled with instruction when it comes to our mouths and our minds. Proverbs tells us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts determine the kind of man or woman we will be. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of his heart or his mind the mouth speaks. I love that verse in the NIV. It says this. It says, A good man brings good things out of the good he has stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, when you tell somebody they're full of it, you better make sure you back that up with what's in Scripture. Because what's coming out of the mouth is what their heart is really full of. What comes out of your mouth, the words you say, they're directly related to what fills your mind. You dwell on negative stuff all day, what's coming out of your mouth? Negative. Pump your mind full of all sorts of garbage from the television or from the internet or from wherever, and your mouth will follow your mind. By the same token, when we dwell on the good things of God, the blessings in our life, 
the hope for our future that God has planned for us, when we think on those things, the words of our mouth can't help but glorify God and praise him for the works that he is doing, that he is performing right now in our lives. When we think on the good things, good things come out. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in this passage, when we start thinking correctly according to Christ, then we will with one mind and one mouth begin to glorify God. This was from the same Paul who wrote in Philippians, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. One writer said we're living in the age of anxiety. And I don't know if that's an appropriate title for our age or not, but there are times I definitely think it's very accurate. We live in a day where more folks are living in the midst of anxious thoughts, worrying about things that they cannot control. As a society, I believe we are overly medicated. We have pills to wake us up, pills to go to sleep, pills to make us feel better, pills to make us feel worse. We got every kind of possibility in our medicine cabinets to get us through the day that we face. I wonder sometimes if all the scripts that are being written and filled are fighting against one another in our systems to the point that we can't even think clear enough to know what God says about us. Now, before you say Pastor Rodney is against psychiatry or against medications or against therapy, if you know me, you know that's far from the truth. If you need to balance yourself chemically and you're being treated properly, don't just stand here. Go take your medicine. Right now. There's the door. Go do it. I have a degree in psychology, and I think there are many who need meds and therapy and counseling sessions. Some people need whole teams of people working on them. And if that's you, I'll be a member of the team. But make no mistake, we are living in a day and age where people are trying to medicate away bad behavior, poor decisions, guilty hearts, and anxious thoughts. And you can't give enough medicine to get somebody over guilt to the past that they've had until they come in touch with Jesus. There's only one medicine prescribed that will take away our guilt, and that's that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But if we begin to do what the Scripture says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on those things. If we begin to think that way, I believe the medicines would go way down. It's a lot of times what's going on between our ears. If we correct the way we think, then we could correct our behavior and our outbursts and our frustrations and our senseless tantrums. I've seen grown people throw tantrums like they're two-year-olds. Oh, God, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind be pleasing to you. So I think we readily recognize that our mouths and our minds are intricately connected. The question is, are you committed today to make your mouth and your mind into instruments that bring glory to God, or are you content to allow them to play out the crazy movies of your own making, living out the scripts that we create rather than being obedient to Christ? Because Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension or imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul in this passage gives us the idea that we are in a battle, a war for control of our minds, and that to truly have minds that are pleasing to God, we must fight them through prayer and through meditation on Scripture and through thinking on the good things of God. When we have thoughts that don't seem accurate, we need to ask ourselves, where are those thoughts coming from? And if they don't line up to the truths that we know from God and His Word, we need to take those thoughts captive and refuse to dwell on them until we somehow think they are true. How many of you have thought about something long enough that you knew wasn't right, but you thought about it long enough that you made it true in your own mind? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I fear today that some of us are so anxious. We're worrying about things we have no control over, working ourselves into a frenzy, bringing ourselves into places mentally where we doubt ourselves, we doubt our relationships, we even doubt God. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Offer prayer and thanksgiving to God. Surrender your request to him. And when you do, the Bible says that the peace of God that surpasses our ability to understand will what? It will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When I surrender to God through prayer, it's like God sets a guard up at the doorway of my mind. That guard's name is peace, and the peace of God gives me a clear pattern of thinking, making sense of the senselessness of this life. You ever wonder sometimes why you just fly off the handle? You just go off? Maybe I'm the only one. I look across the crowd. I know there's some fellows here who have gone off. Wives, don't look at your husbands right now because maybe you're the one that goes off. Do you ever wonder why our mouths go off? We spout off and we give somebody a tough way to go. We belittle them. We make them feel bad. I remember, y'all going to probably not let me preach anymore after this, but I remember one time we went to Red Robin as a family one night. And I remember at that time I was working on my master's and I had a lot of stuff on my plate. And like almost every other time we go out to eat, no one can decide where we want to go. I know that doesn't happen in anybody's house but mine. So I'm sure I was irritated by all that. And then I walked into Red Robin, which this particular night had like no customers, empty tables from wall to wall. And the hostess is looking at her sheet when I ask for a table for four as if I've just asked her to grow wings and fly. She looked up and down her availability sheet, and then she asked me, literally with a plethora of tables from wall to wall available in this restaurant for my name to put on her list, and that it would be about a 15-minute wait. I said, excuse me, a 15-minute wait for what? For my food to arrive at this table? There's nobody here. There are tables everywhere. Why would I need to wait 15 minutes? Then I blew up. 
every time I come into this restaurant, I can guarantee you that your answer will always be you'll have something available in 15 minutes. You are programmed to tell me I have to wait. I do not have time to eat here. I have somewhere else to be. I will, there will be other people who will treat me properly when I go in. They will not treat me as if I'm blind and I can't see all these empty tables. Perhaps it will take you 15 minutes to decide where to sit me because it can't be that there are no seats available. I turned and I walked out the door. I got her. And my red-faced wife and kids followed suit, ready to dig a hole and hide rather than be seen with the crazy man who was leading them to the car. The manager of the restaurant actually ran out into the parking lot and proceeded to tell me he could seat me right away. He was sorry for the hostess's inconvenience, but he would be glad to take care of me personally. But I'd gone this far. I was going all the way. There was no turning back. I refused his offer of service, and we went and had dinner somewhere else. But then I began to calm down, and I looked across the table at my wife and my two kids kids who had seen me act a fool, I realized how ignorant I must have looked to my kids and my wife, realized what I must have looked like to that poor hostess and that young manager who had just started his job. So as I sat and felt guilty about the way I'd acted, I realized that what I had blown up about was not what I was blowing up about. So I called the restaurant right there at dinner. I asked to speak to the manager told him who I was, and he remembered me. And I apologized for my actions. I asked for his forgiveness, asked that he would extend that to the hostess as well who couldn't come to the phone. And then I got off the phone, and I asked my wife and my kids to forgive me. I didn't make excuses, although there were some excuses to be made because the restaurant was empty. But regardless, I was wrong, and I did my best to make it right. Some of you could go home this afternoon and and change the entire atmosphere of your home if you'd simply learn two little words, three if you don't like contractions, and learn how to say, I'm sorry. Let the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. If I've done wrong, I need to make it right. I need to learn how to say I'm sorry. If the thing you're blowing up about is not what you're blowing up about, you need to learn to apologize and make it right. Let your words reflect the gospel that you proclaim. Be the man or woman that you pretend to be on Sunday. Actually be the person that you act like you are right now and allow your actions and words to reflect the God who lives inside of you. Somebody asked me one time, would God be pleased with me if he was sitting next to me while I'm driving down the road? Because the truth of the matter is he is sitting next to me always. When you're doing good and when you're doing rotten, he's still there. He doesn't walk away because you act a fool. I said all that to say sometimes we go off and we look like idiots. And when we do, we go off with our mouths. But it's indicative of the chaos that is going on in our minds. And because our minds are under attack and we won't take control of them and make our thoughts obedient to truth, all it takes is a small spark And the chaos that we feel in our brain is unleashed out of our mouth on whatever or whoever happens to be close by. Some of you have rough days on your job. 
and your husband or wife pays the price when you get home. Some of you get upset with your spouse and your kids pay the price. Why don't we just be honest for a moment, admit we need this today, and commit our mouths and our minds to the Lord. So many times we have a hard time keeping on track, don't we? We start the year, we started off this series committed, 30 days of renewal. We make commitments. We start trying to create good habits. We decide we're going to pray for an hour every day. We're going to eat kale until we turn green. We're going to run five miles a day. We're going to cut the cable. We're going to turn off the news. We're going to delete off of our phones and social media apps. And instead of Facebook, we're going to get our face in the book. We make them, don't we? And we're determined to do all these good things, and they're all good. We're determined, but what happens? We get distracted. We do. We start off the year with such amazing intentions, but then our minds wander. And we get stressed and we get anxious because we started thinking about some situations we can't control. And because we were distracted, we got home and realized we were out of kale. So we decided on the next best thing, a Big Mac and a large fry. And before you know it, all the good intentions go out the window because a distraction divides our mind and keeps us from being able to focus on what God wants for us. So I really believe today we're in a battle for our minds and we're fighting each day to try to keep our minds focused on the right things. But because of distractions, our minds become vulnerable to the movies that we play out in our mind, the ones of our making, the stories that we create that cause havoc in our brain and causes our mouth to follow suit. I really see this played out in the scripture in a story from Luke chapter 10. I really think it shows how what happens in our minds affects how we act and what we say. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that story. You've heard the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus shows up at Martha's house Martha welcomes him into her home, and then she sets out to make him and his disciples a meal. And she's working, working away while someone in the house is not. Her little sister Mary should be in the kitchen helping, but she's not. She's with Jesus. Now, for a moment, I'd like us to try to imagine. Now, I'm asking you to play the movie in your mind today. Imagine what might have been going on in Martha's brain and what she was thinking about. It really shouldn't be that hard to do because I know that everybody in here would quickly tell me that they would be like Mary. They're going to be at the feet of Jesus. But there's a whole lot of us, when the truth comes out, we live our lives more like Martha. To be working hard at something, serving with excellence, while somebody else skates by and enjoys the benefits. At least that's how we see the story, right? So, I've got four attitudes that I think come out of Martha in this passage, and I'm going to explain those to you, and I think it's going to help somebody today because I believe these four attitudes are exactly the four things that we do when it doesn't go the way we think it should. From the story, the first act I see of Martha 
taking really because of the distraction of her mind is the act of manipulation. Notice what she does in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha had a script for how this day was going to go. Jesus was coming. She was going to make him a dinner. Martha was going to, Mary was going to help. But Mary quit peeling the potatoes, and she left the rolls in the oven and walked out when Jesus walked in, and she didn't finish her job. And that's not how I scripted this day to go. And so she goes to Jesus, and she tries to manipulate Jesus, the God of the universe. Lord, don't you even care? My sister left me to do all the work by myself. Make her help me, Jesus. We have a script. We have a plan in our mind of how things are supposed to go. I'm just going to be real. I've already been transparent enough. I told you all my blow-up stories, so I'm just going to go all the way. One of the hardest things for me in my personality type is I have in my mind a plan, right? You know, I go do something special for my wife, and I have a plan of how that's going to take place and how she's going to respond and how she's going to react. I do something for the kids, and in my mind, I have how this thing's going to play out. I do something special here at the church. I work hard on something. In my mind, I have how that's going to play out. And when it doesn't, it takes me a while to rewrite the script, to divert my thought process to a new way of thinking because I've already in my mind played this out of how it's supposed to go, and you guys are letting me down by not fulfilling my script, right? I didn't give you the script, but, you know, you didn't live up to your part. And that's what happens here. We have this script in our mind of how it's supposed to go. And when it doesn't, we get so anxious that we try to manipulate our friends or our family to get the script back in line with the way it's supposed to be. Notice Martha opened her home. She obviously cared for Jesus, and she wanted to do something good for him. But when her care shifts to control, manipulation is the result. See, she cared enough to make Jesus a meal. But when it didn't go her way, she tries to exude her control over the situation and manipulate Jesus to get him to do in Mary's life what she wanted done. <clears throat> She's no longer operating from a position of care, but rather from a position of trying to control, trying to manipulate Jesus who pretty sure, didn't care if the potatoes were mashed or boiled. I don't think he cared, do you? The second action or attitude I see from Martha as she deals with her distracted mind is one of obligation. It's also found in verse 40 if you look for it. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Notice Martha's sense of obligation, all the preparations that had to be made. She couldn't see that the God of the universe was in her home because she was distracted by all the preparations that had. Everybody say had. It had to be made. How does this live out for us? Well, I believe that obligation is the enemy of joy. Mm, somebody's feeling that over there. When we shift from get to to got to, we have taken on the attitude of obligation. 
I didn't come to church today because I've got to. I get to come to church. I don't stand and worship because the worship leader told me to. I get to stand in awe of a great and amazing God and give praises to his amazing name. I got to go. I got to go to church. I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I got to do homework. I got to do, I got to do, I got to. No, you don't. You don't. Kids, all y'all going to be mad at me right now, or your parents will be, but you're going to think I'm the greatest thing ever. You don't got to do your homework. You don't. You don't have to go to school. And you don't have to pass. You don't have to graduate. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to live in a home. You can be homeless because you have no income because you don't have no job. You don't have to. You get to get an education. You get to get an opportunity to go to college. You get to make a difference in this world. When we shift from get to to got to, we take on this sense of obligation, and it takes the joy out of all the things that we get to do in this life. Don't go. Don't go to school tomorrow. Don't come to church next Sunday. Don't show up and see if the world stops spinning because you didn't. The world will keep on spinning. When I see people who are serving with no joy, I know that they are only serving because they feel like they have to. Living for God and serving in his kingdom is a great opportunity. It is not an obligation. When I feel the pressure of serving, I need to remind myself of the privilege of serving. I think it's one of the best lessons I've learned over the last few months as I've suffered with this ankle surgery. I am not indispensable. I am not doing any of this because I feel obligated. I can be replaced at any moment and everything will be all right. But for right now, I get to preach the gospel. I get to share my faith. I get to worship the name of Jesus Christ. It is my joy and my greatest opportunity. It's not an obligation. I get to do this. The third attitude that I see show up in Martha is one of victimization. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Notice how victimized she acts. Lord, Mary left me all alone to do the work all by myself. The sad part is Martha is a victim of her own creation. The scripture says, Martha opened her home to Jesus. Martha opened up her house and invited Jesus in. A woman named Martha opened it up to him. She invited him over. She encouraged him to come. She decided that she was going to make a meal. And now she's a victim because people don't line up to help her do what she wanted to do. It was Martha's idea. How many times are we distracted and complaining and acting like victims when you created your schedule? You signed up your kids for four soccer leagues. You did it. You decided to go to college and take night classes. You did it. Right? You're not a victim. You did it to yourself. We place ourselves in impossible situations, and then we want everyone to act as if the things that we need done are the priorities. Right? I'm the one that let my daughter 
go and join, sign up for a play, and then I let her direct another play, and, and then I let her stage manage a third play. I'm the reason I got to drive out at 11 o'clock at night to pick her up. Why? Because I let her do it. It's not your fault. You didn't victimize me. Abigail didn't victimize me. We let that happen. Martha's a victim of her own creation. We do the same thing. We act like we're victimized. Martha was in the kitchen, and you, you know it. You can, ex, you can imagine this story. It just plays out every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every time you have a meal at your house. Everybody's in there watching football, and you got one person in the kitchen banging pots, and everybody knows that she's mad because y'all are in the other room. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. Here I am to worship. Martha's in the kitchen. Here I'm in the kitchen, slaving over these dishes. Jesus, make her help me. I know you know people like that. You, they create a situation, and then they stomp around and grumble and complain and make everybody else miserable and uncomfortable because they choose to play the victim of the problems that they created. Now, the fourth attitude I see from this story is something that I think we all struggle with. It's expectations. See, we suffer disappointment when our expectations are not met. I said it earlier. We played the scenario through. We played the movie in our mind. We think that everything is going to go a specific way. And when it does not, when our expectations are not met, the train goes off the rails. We explode. We blow up. We manipulate. We hurt people. We make dumb decisions. Why? Because it didn't go the way we expected it to. Martha expected Mary to help her. Mary expect, Martha expected Jesus to get the story back in order and force her to come and help. She never expected Jesus to take Mary's side and say, Martha, Martha, your mom or dad ever call you out your name twice? Rodney, Rodney, you know you're in trouble. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. It wasn't what she was expecting. The Bible doesn't tell us what her response was. I think Luke probably was like, no, nah, this probably shouldn't go in there because they haven't invented the characters in comic strips to say the words that nobody's supposed to repeat, so I'm going to just leave it at this. <clears throat> we don't know what she said. What I hope is that she just let the potatoes burn, she left the lamb in the oven and joined in. We don't know if she did or not. But I kind of figure she didn't because a few chapters later when her brother dies and Jesus doesn't show up when she thought he should, she comes marching out of the house with a hand on her hip saying, Lord, if you'd have been here like I asked you to be, my brother would not have died. So I don't think she learned the lesson of this because she's acting the same way a few chapters later. Today, though, you can decide to commit your mind and your mouth to the ways of God. Stop manipulating others when it doesn't go your way. Stop living from a position of obligation, but from one of opportunity. Stop playing the victim when it doesn't go the way you think it should. Stop reacting in anger when your expectations aren't met. 
There's no question that our minds are amazing creations and have the capability of thinking faster than we can even speak sometimes, playing out scenarios and creating possibilities that may not align with God's truth. How do we ensure that we are committed, that our mouths and our minds are in alignment with God's plan? How do we honor David's request that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind be pleasing to the Lord? I think we do it by first committing ourselves to God. Romans chapter 12 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Bible says a lot about the way we think. Why is it so important? Because if I think right, I act right. If I think right, I talk right. If I think right and I think properly, then I'm going to live out a life that's pleasing to God. How do we change the way we think? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's hard scripture right there. I know plenty of people, they can't wake up in the morning without looking at themselves with selfish ambition and vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The King James Version says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, i got to learn to think the way Jesus thought. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. You and I both know people. They get up in the morning, and I mean, before they go out the door, they took 75 selfies, put on 42 filters, and decided which one of those they're going to show to the world. If that's not selfish ambition and vainglory, I don't know what that is. Some of y'all are laughing because you know it's true. And the sad part is some of the ones that are laughing and know it's true are fellas, and that's really bad. You can put all the filters on you want, guys. It ain't going to make you look no prettier. And if it does, you might not want to show that picture. His mindset, the mindset of Christ that we need to take on. The Bible says take on the mindset of Christ. We need to take it on. You know how you get that? You get it in his word. You find out what he thought. You find out how he acted. And if you learn to think like Jesus thought, all of a sudden our actions are going to become like Jesus wants them to be. If the musicians would come, if you'd all stand with me today. Jesus' mindset calls for us to love one another, to humble ourselves as he did, to strive to do good, to be kind, to let his spirit change our spirit into one that he can be pleased with. I'm really proud of my wife. Yesterday was her, or two days ago was her birthday. She's a great lady. Y'all should love her and let her know that. One of the things I'm most proud of of her is every morning she takes about five minutes or so or less, and she sends a little video out that she creates every day on her own. She doesn't ask me for help. She doesn't get my advice. She just does it. Started off with a few of Abby's friends, and I think now she's sending out to almost 100 people. It's just an encouraging little thought, an encouraging little word to tell people 
that life can be better if you just try to think a little differently. I told Abby the other day, I said, I could take all the things that your mom's saying and I could put them in a book, and the title of the book would be Be Kind. Because almost every day at some point she works in the idea that we need to love one another and be kind to one another. And what I see in Jesus is the same thing. Jesus said, Jesus, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Jesus went out and he did things that blow people's mind out of love and kindness. You want to change the way you think? Start trying to love people and be kind. Don't be judgmental. Don't be rude. Don't think you got it all together. Don't look at them and judge them. The Bible says the way you judge, it's coming back on you the same exact way. With the same measure that you use, it's coming back. So you go ahead and dump a truckload of judgment on somebody. Be prepared because you can hear the beep, beep, beep of the dump truck backing up in your direction because it's coming. I don't want to live that way. I want to live in a way that makes God pleased with me. And that starts by learning to love one another. As they begin to sing, I'm going to open this altar today. If you'd like to come, I want you to take a moment, spend a few moments in prayer, aligning yourself to God. The prayer team's coming as well, and if you'd like someone to pray with you, they'll be here as well. But I wonder today, as you come, if you would consider this thought. Does my mind and my mouth, is it obedient to Christ? Is it living out in such a way that the words that I say and the thoughts that I think, are they pleasing to God? Because if they're not, I got a little work to do, and I want to do it now. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the people that are in this room that have taken the time to listen. God, I ask that your word would take root in our heart and challenge us today, that it would change us, that it would make us different. God, that the words that we say and the things that we think, God, that they would begin to take up root in us, God, as pleasing to you, that they would become pleasing thoughts, oh God, and that the way we play out scenarios in our mind, God, that those ideas and thoughts would be pleasing to you. Help my mind to be pure before you today in Jesus' name. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. Make me the kind of man or woman that you want me to be. I trust in you today, God. Use this day for your glory, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you'd like to come today, this altar is open as they began to sing. Father, we thank you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made. When it's all about you, it's all.
Kevin mentioned it earlier. Uh, our, our dear brother Vincent over here got a little bit of a bad report from the doctor. He's going tomorrow. He's going to, doctor's going to talk to him some more about some things. Uh, but he's facing some tough stuff. But we got a tough God. I wonder if some of our men would come and gather around Vincent. We're going to pray for him today. I believe God in a moment can do more than doctors can dream of in all of their possibilities. Can you say amen? I believe there's enough faith in this room that we can help our brother today believe God for the impossible. Can you say amen? Let's pray for Vincent and Felicia right now together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for my brother and sister, Lord. I thank you for their heart toward you. I ask you right now, God, that you would do your perfect will, God that your hand of anointing would fall upon them, oh God, and that the blessings and healing power of God would fall in their life. We trust you and believe you, God. Do your perfect will. We know you're able. We count on you today, oh God. We lean on you. There's nobody like our great God. There's no power like yours, God. We trust in you today, Lord. Touch him by the power of your word. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we claim victory. We claim authority. We claim privilege, oh God, on his life. Do, his, do your perfect will today in Jesus' name. Yes. fifth verse of Isaiah 53 says by his stripes we are healed Kevin is famous for saying there's a great quote from the book of Psalms that says the promises of God are yea and amen and when God makes us promises we can count on them can you say amen when we, when we surrender ourselves to him we can trust God for anything and anything's possible and so we're going to believe God together for our brother can you say amen can you, will you agree with me to hold Vincent up in prayer? 
When you pray tomorrow, when you pray for Vincent, I believe God's going to touch him and strengthen him. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Victory. Go home and think different, act different, talk different, and watch God live in your home and be a blessing to somebody else. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.